a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. If you're somebody who takes seriously the idea that truth exists and that it's preferable to comfortable lies or other distortions of reality, my friend, you found the right place. If you also understand that truth sometimes is uh, uncomfortable, in fact, sometimes it's painful, well, again, you have found the right place. So let's take that journey together. Come, walk with me. And let's, uh, let's revel in wrong think as we try to make sense of the world around us. And more importantly, what you and I can do to better our situation in terms of uh, making the world a better place. Doesn't have to solve every problem at once. We just have to be willing to uh, shine light where it needs to be shown. So with that in mind, let me first thank the sponsors who make this possible on a daily basis. They include HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, lifesavingfood.com, and also garagedoorproservices.com. Now, I'm going to have to confess right off the bat here, I feel my blood pressure rise as I watch the people who are responsible for so much of the COVID misinformation. And I'm, not, I'm trying not to be ironic here. I know the fact checkers, oh, that's COVID misinformation. You can't think that. You can't say that. But the people who pushed the lockdowns, the people who pushed the vaccines. You know, it's so fi- it's so funny to see them gaslight us now and lie to our faces. In fact, it, the, the toughest thing for me is the authoritarians who destroyed so many lives continue to deny their actions. You could sit there and show them video. Well, this is what you were saying, though. This is this is you saying what you said, you know, at the beginning of all this this mess. And they'll watch it and turn around and deny it to your face. I've got an excellent article from C.J. Hopkins on the gaslighting of the masses, but first I want to give you a tangible example. And and nobody personifies this, this lying, slippery, political weasel mindset, more so than the esteemed Dr. Fauci. Check this out. Here he claims he has nothing to do with shutdowns. We'll follow it up a little compilation that may cast a little doubt on what he's saying right now. Check this out. Do you regret particularly the last one, the shutdown, the sweeping shutdown that some said made things worse? No, I I don't, uh, Neil. And in fact, I think we need to make sure that your listeners understand I didn't shut down anything. I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. And the only way to do that is by draconian means of essentially shutting down a country. We know that we can do that if we shut down. Well, I think one of the things you really need to do to the extent that you can shut down Mm. temporarily Mm. the country, I think is important. Well, if I knew at the time that shutting down would have such a dramatic effect on controlling the spread, obviously we would have shut down earlier. There are those who say you shut down your destructive things by disrupting the economy. And others say, well, if you save so many infections by shutting down, 
Why didn't you shut down two weeks earlier? But I don't regret saying that the only way we could have really stopped the explosion of infection was by essentially, um, I want to say shutting down. I mean, essentially having the physical separation and the kinds of recommendations that we've made. You've been a big fan of Cuomo and the shutdown in New York. You've lauded New York for their policy. New York had the highest death rate in the world. How could we possibly be jumping up and down and saying, oh, Governor Cuomo did a great job. He had the worst death rate in the world. No, you misconstrued that, Senator. Dang, dang. This this is exactly why I feel like, you know, those who are calling for Nuremberg-style trials, complete with, uh, you know, Nuremberg-style penalties for the people who, who wreaked this havoc on the world, I don't think that they're off base. I mean, let me put it this way. Would you want to see this kind of thing happen again? Because without accountability, it guaranteed is going to happen again. And I think people like Dr. Fauci and others who pushed this, and by the way, I would include members of the media who lied and otherwise promoted the official agenda without thinking, without pushing back in the least, I think they also should be held accountable. I think they should be sitting in the dock explaining, why did you do this? It's not like the evidence doesn't exist. But I'm just curious, where is the will to hold these people accountable? Now, does that sound harsh? It probably does. To some people, it probably sounds insane. But I'm going to guess the people to whom that sounds most insane are the people who, once again, want to get their hands on that kind of power. The kind of authoritarians that, that, that wreak that kind of havoc. So, I hope I'm not the only one who, who just feels that, that simmering little burn of outrage that they can lie with, with such efficiency and such abandon. Oh, yeah. Well, I never said that. No, no, no. You misconstrue this, Senator. Fauci, the lawn gnome really needs to be the first one taken to trial and held accountable for this. Dr. Burks, Dr. Collins, all of them. So let me dive into C.J. Hopkins' essay about the gaslighting of the masses. My goal here, by the way, is not to make you angry. I know I'm venting a little bit, and I apologize. If, if, I'm, if what I'm doing is, is spiking your blood pressure, it's really not my intent to, to bring more anger into an already angry world. But I am definitely saying that we can't just roll over and pretend that, well, you know, Fauci says nothing really bad happened, and there are others who say it was okay, and, you know, the governor of my state says we never locked things down, even as people were arrested for taking their kids to the park or singing hymns in a church parking lot. They need to be held accountable. And, and maybe some of that accountability comes at the ballot box. Maybe some of it should be actually in a criminal trial. But in the meantime, how do you see through the propaganda? C.J. Hopkins says, for students of official propaganda, mind control, emotional coercion, and other insidious manipulation techniques, the rollout of the new normal has been a bonanza. And he says that's because never before have we been able to observe the application and effects of these powerful technologies in real time and on such a massive scale. In a little over two and a half years, our collective reality, in quotation marks, has been radically revised. Our societies have been radically restructured. Millions, probably billions of people have systematically been conditioned to believe a variety of patently ridiculous assertions, assertions based 
on absolutely nothing, repeatedly disproved by widely available evidence, but which have nevertheless attained the status of facts. An entire fictitious history has been written about, has been written rather based on those baseless and ridiculous assertions, and it will not be unwritten easily or quickly. Now, he says, I'm not going to waste your time trying to debunk these assertions. They have been repeatedly, exhaustively debunked. You know what they are, and you either believe them or you don't. Either way, reviewing and debunking them again isn't going to change a thing. He says, instead, I want to focus on one particularly effective mind control technology, one that has done a lot of heavy lifting throughout the implementation of the new normal and is doing a lot of heavy lifting currently. I want to do that because many people mistakenly believe that mind control is either A, a conspiracy theory, or B, something that can only be achieved with drugs, microwaves, surgery, torture, or some other invasive physical means. Of course, there's a vast and well-documented history of such of the use of such invasive physical technologies. Just, you know, research the CIA's infamous MK Ultra program. But in many instances, he says, mind control can be achieved through much less elaborate techniques. So specifically, he says, one of the most basic effective techniques that cults, totalitarian systems, and individuals with fascistic personalities use to disorient and control people's minds is gaslighting. Now, you're probably familiar with the term. If not, here are a few definitions. From the American Psychological Association, gaslighting is the manipulation of another person into doubting their perceptions, experiences, or understanding of events. Here's a definition from Psychology Today, an insidious form of manipulation and psychological control. Victims of gaslighting are deliberately and systematically fed false information that leads them to question what they know to be true, often about themselves. They may end up doubting their memory, their perception, even their sanity. Here's one more. This is from the Newport Institute. A form of psychological manipulation in which the abuser attempts to sow self-doubt and confusion in their victim's mind. Typically, gaslighters are seeking to gain power and control over the other person by distorting reality and forcing them to question their own judgment and intuition. So there are some basic definitions with which we can start to approach the subject of gaslighting. I got to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll dive headfirst into C.J. Hopkins' article on gaslighting of the masses. As you recognize this uh, technique being applied to you and me, I hope that, uh, like me, you will take umbrage with it and refuse to be manipulated. That is, after all, my goal, to make you an unplayable piece on their chessboard. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. A quick shout-out to Garage Door Pros located in St. George, Utah. They're one of my fine sponsors, and they are a local company to southwestern Utah, serving St. George, Cedar City, also Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. Installation, service, and repair for garage doors, both at the commercial and the residential level. And they really take care of their customers. In fact, I, I would urge you, go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com, and just read a few of the reviews to get a feel for the positively outrageous good service that Garage Door Pros gives their customers. There's a difference. You have a choice. 
I'm trying to point you in the direction of what I think may be the best possible choice for any of your garage door needs. GaragedoorProServices.com. Well, let's jump back into this article here from C.J. CJ Hopkins, The Gaslighting of the Masses. This, this guy is probably one of the best writers on the new normal that I have, have come across in the last couple of years. And I believe me, I spend my day looking for good sources, people who can see clearly. He says the main goal of gaslighting is to confuse, coerce, and emotionally manipulate your victim into abandoning their own perception of reality and accepting whatever new reality you impose on them. Ultimately, you want to completely destroy their ability to trust their own perception, emotions, reasoning, and memory of historical events and render them utterly dependent on you to tell them what is real and what really happened and so on and how they should be feeling about it. Now, he says anyone who's experienced gaslighting in the context of an abusive relationship or a cult or a totalitarian system or who has worked in battered women's shelter can tell you how powerful and destructive it is. He says in the most extreme cases, the victims of gaslighting are entirely stripped of their sense of self and surrender their individual autonomy completely. Among the best known and most dramatic examples include the Patty Hearst case, Jim Jones, People's Temple, the Manson family, and various other cults. But the truth is, gaslighting happens every day out of the spotlight of the media in countless personal, personal rather, and professional relationships. So since the spring of 2020, C.J. Hopkins says we have been subjected to official gaslighting on an unprecedented scale. In a sense, the apocalyptic pandemic psyop has been one big extended gaslighting campaign comprising countless individual instances of gaslighting inflicted on the masses throughout the world. The events of this past week were just another example. Basically, what happened was a Pfizer executive confirmed to the European Parliament last Monday that Pfizer did not know whether its COVID vaccine presented, prevented rather transmission of the virus before it was promoted as, as doing exactly that and forced on the masses in December of 2020. People saw the video of the executive admitting this or heard about it and got upset. They tweeted and Facebooked and posted videos of Pfizer CEO Albert Borla, Bill Gates, and the director of the CDC, official propagandists like Rachel Maddow and other experts and authorities blatantly lying to the public, promising people that getting vaccinated would prevent transmission, protect other people from infection, stop the virus in its tracks, and so on. Which totally baseless assertions or lies were the justification for the systematic segregation and persecution of the unvaccinated, and the fomenting of mass fanatical hatred of anyone challenging the official vaccine narrative and the new official or the official new normal ideology, which hatred persists to this very day. Now, he says the new normal propaganda apparatus, in other words, the corporate media, health experts at all, responded to the story very predictably. They ignored it, hoping it would just go away. And when it didn't, they rolled out the fact checkers, i.e. the gaslighters. The Associated Press, Reuters, PolitiFact, and other official gaslighting outfits immediately published lengthy official fact checks that would make a sophist blush. Read them, he says, and you'll see what I mean. By the way, he links to them in the article. They are perfect examples of official gaslighting crafted to distract you from the point and suck you into an argument over meaningless details and definitions. They sound exactly like Holocaust deniers pathetically asserting that there's no written proof that Hitler ordered the final solution, which there isn't, but that doesn't freaking matter. Of course Hitler ordered the final solution, and of course they lied about the vaccines. 
The internet is swimming with evidence of their lies, tweets, videos, articles, and so on. But he says what makes gaslight, which is what makes gaslighting so frustrating for people who believe they're engaged in an actual good faith argument over facts and the truth. But that's not how totalitarianism works. The new normals, when they repeat whatever the authorities have instructed them to repeat today, trust the science, safe and effective, no one ever actually claimed they would prevent transmission, could not care less whether it's actually true or if it even makes the slightest sense. These gaslighting fact checks are not meant to convince us that anything is true or false. And they are certainly not meant to convince us. They are official scripts, talking points, and thought-terminating cliches for the new normals to repeat, like cultists chanting mantras at you to shut off their minds and block out anything that contradicts or threatens the reality of the cult. You can present them with the actual facts, and they will smile knowingly and deny them to your face and condescendingly mock you for not seeing the truth. But here's the tricky thing about gaslighting. In order to effectively gaslight someone, you have to be in a position of authority or wield some other form of power over them. They need to have something vital from you. Sustenance, safety, financial security, community, career advancement, or just love. You can't walk up to some random stranger on the street and start gaslighting them. They'll laugh in your face. The reason the new normal authorities have been able to gaslight the masses so effectively is that the most of the masses do need something from them. A job, food, shelter, money, security, status, their friends, a relationship, or whatever it is they're not willing to risk by challenging those in power and their lies. Gaslighters, cultists, and power freaks generally know this. In fact, it's what they depend on, your unwillingness to live without whatever it is. They zero in on it and threaten you with the loss of it, sometimes consciously, sometimes just intuitively. But C.J. Hopkins says gaslighting won't work if you are willing to give up whatever the gaslighter is threatening to take from you or stop giving you as the case may be. But you may be willing to, you may have to be willing to actually lose it because you will be punished for defending yourself, for not surrendering your autonomy and integrity and conforming to the reality of the cult or the abusive relationship or the totalitarian system. In his book, The New Normal, in other words, our new reality, he described, as pathology, he described this new normal as pathologized totalitarianism and as a cult writ large on a societal scale. In fact, he used the Covidian cult analogy because every totalitarian system essentially operates like a cult. The main difference being that in a totalitarian system, the balance of power between the cult and the normal or dominant society is completely inverted. The cult becomes the dominant or normal society and non-cult members become its deviants. Now, we don't want to see ourselves as deviants because we haven't changed. The society has. And our instinct is to reject the label, but he says that's exactly what we are. Deviants. People who deviate from the norm, a new norm which we reject and oppose, but which despite that is nonetheless the norm. And thus we're going to be regarded and dealt with like deviants. So C.J. Hopkins comes right out and says, I am such a deviant and I have a feeling you are too. Under the circumstances, it's nothing to be ashamed of. On the contrary, we need to accept it and embrace it. Above all, we need to get clear about it, about where we stand in this new reality. We are heading toward new normal winter number three, and they're already cranking up the official propaganda, jacking up the fabricated cases, talking about reintroducing mask mandates, fomenting mass hatred of the unvaccinated, and so on. 
people's gas bills doubling and tripling. The globalist, uh, their global capitalist ruling classes are openly embracing neo-Nazis. There's talk of limited nuclear war. Fanaticism, fear, and hatred abound. No, he says the gaslighting of the masses is not abating. It is increasing. The suppression of dissent is intensifying. The demonization of nonconformity is intensifying. Lines are being drawn in the sand. You see it and feel it, just as I do. Now, his advice here is to get clear on what's essential to you. Get clear about what you're willing to lose. Stay deviant. Stay frosty, he says. This isn't over. I know, that's some pretty straight-up truth. No sugar coating. But I think that's exactly what we need at this point. So, let's get clear on what's essential. Let's get clear on what we're willing to walk away from. And let's stick to our principles. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And again, thanks for listening. I know there are so many other voices and choices out there, and I don't claim to have all the answers, but in my small way, I am trying to add a little bit of light and truth to what's going on. Not to get you angry or to to cause more enemy-directed thinking. There's way too much of that going on out there already. I'm just trying to give people tools to push back, to claim their mental sovereignty, and not just be swept along with the herd in its headlong rush to the cliff. I know it's asking a lot. Not everybody wants to do that, by the way. There are people who are, oh, no, it's safer right here in the crowd. I'm just, I'm just going to keep running with the crowd. And even as they go over the edge, but at least everybody's doing it. You're the weirdo for running the opposite direction. That's the world we live in today. So I'm, I'm not here to make you mad. I'm not here to make you fearful. Sometimes the stuff we talk about is pretty intense. This is one of those days. And it's, it's really, it's, this is not the product of me trying to Jerry Springer your mind into some sensational, you know, story. But more to call attention to things that we probably should be paying attention to with the understanding that we have options as to how we will react. Okay, here's a good example of what this looks like. We've got global tensions rising right now over Russia and Ukraine. I think most of us are wondering, okay, what comes next on the global scale? Got a great essay here from Brandon Smith from alt-market.us. He says, there comes a point in the lifespan of any economic or political analysis when most of your observations or predictions either become mostly wrong or mostly right. If you've done your job properly through due diligence, research, and applied practical, practical insight, then you'll be in a position to point out why the dominoes are falling. People have to understand how these events were predictable so they can better prepare in the future. Now, he says the mainstream media, politicians, and global banks will tell the public, well, no one could have seen these events coming, but that's a lie. Some of us in the alternative fields did see them coming and with considerable clarity. And he says the establishment and their defenders don't want you to know that. They will deny up and down that we predicted anything. They'll claim that we don't exist, our analysis never happened, or as a last-ditch effort, they'll claim that they saw it all coming before we did. Now, he says the mainstream officials and analysts have to maintain their image of public authority. They can't do that if upstarts in the alternative arena are constantly right while they're constantly wrong. They have all the fancy Ivy League degrees, after all. 
Now, he says, in my article, the globalist reset agenda has failed as Ukraine Plan B, published in January of this year. He outlined why he believed a war between Ukraine and Russia was the most likely crisis to follow after the hype of the pandemic faded away. In his article, Ukraine learns the value of an armed citizenry, but far too late. He argued the high probability that NATO troops were already on the ground in the region and not just as advisors. According to mounting evidence, it's clear that Western troops are active in Ukraine and that U.S. and European intel are essentially running the war. In some cases, this has been openly admitted. And why wouldn't they be running the war? It's being fought entirely with NATO money and NATO weapons. Then he says, recently I predicted that the Kremlin was poised to to shift strategies, rather, Rather than trying to hold larger swaths of territory, he believed they would instead seek to use a tenderizing strategy and destroy the bulk of Ukrainian infrastructure, specifically electricity and water grids. In his article, Escalation, Recent Events Suggest Mounting Economic Danger, published a month ago, he stated, with the amount of propaganda coming from Ukrainian intelligence and NATO, it's hard to say what is actually happening. But I suspect Russia is changing strategies and repositioning to deploy missile and artillery bombardment of infrastructure, including power grids and water. This is a tactic that Russia has avoided for months, which is surprising because one of the first measures usually taken by the U.S. during an invasion is to eliminate most key structure as we did infrastructure, rather, as we did in Iraq. Now, you would think Russia would have done the same, but perhaps they were saving that scenario for winter when it's harder for Ukraine to cope. This would make Ukraine essentially unlivable in the coming winter for most of the population. Well, Brandon Smith says this past week, my latest prediction came true. With Russia now striking multiple infrastructure targets using cruise missiles and drones and taking down at least 60% of Ukraine's electrical grids. These grids are now rerouted to provide some power to the affected regions, but in the best case scenario, they're only able to be active for five hours a day. Kiev city authorities called on residents and businesses to limit electricity consumption from 5 p.m. until 10 p.m. and urged owners of advertising signs to turn off their lights during this time. He says Ukraine has halted all energy exports to Europe in response to the grid damage. Meantime, or meaning rather, the EU just lost even more of their primary energy resources on top of the loss of Russian gas and oil. Now, some people might claim that the missile attacks were impromptu and only triggered by partial destruction of the Kirsch Bridge by a Ukrainian truck bomb. This is false. According to Ben Hodges, a retired U.S. general, the intensity and volume of the attacks indicated they were planned well in advance of the weekend's explosion on a bridge linking Russia and annexed Crimea, meaning Russia was going to strike Ukraine infrastructure regardless. But what does this all mean and what happens next? Well, Brandon says, my track record on the crisis has been accurate so far, but you don't need a crystal ball to see where this situation is headed. First and foremost, the propaganda war is going to go into high gear, with Russia widely condemned for genocide as Ukrainian civilians face a long winter with little to no electricity and minimal clean water. To put this in perspective, however, when the U.S. invaded Iraq for the second time during Operation Iraqi Freedom, We annihilated most vital grid resources and left millions of Iraqis without power or water. Hundreds of thousands of civilians died during the war, many of them due to lack of basic necessities. So we need to be careful about how we throw around the word genocide. Our glass house breaks just as easily as any other. 
And he says, I would remind readers they have no pers- that I have no personal interest in either side of this conflict. I'm only interested in the facts on the ground and how they affect the rest of the world and America in particular. He says, I don't trust Vladimir Putin with his long-running ties to globalists in the World Economic Forum and his friendship with Henry Kissinger. And I certainly don't trust the puppet government in Ukraine. He says, I suspect this conflict has been instigated to the benefit of global elitists. And I gave all my reasons why at the very beginning of the war. He says, I would also remind readers that not long ago, there was an aggressive push by Democrats and some GOP neocons to get the American public to support deep U.S. involvement and possibly open troop deployments to Ukraine. Now, this attempt failed for the most part, but they will try again as the conflict escalates. Words like genocide are used liberally by propagandists to induce emotional outrage, but these people are rarely honest. Now, that's not to say Ukraine isn't facing disaster. Far from it. Until now, they've enjoyed amenities which are rarely available to a country in the midst of an invasion, including power and Internet communications. This is now changing. As grid systems continue to fall or to fail, rather, or be destroyed by targeted strikes, it is inevitable that millions more Ukrainians will seek to leave the region as refugees to neighboring countries. This influx will definitely create a humanitarian crisis. Furthermore, the calls by NATO governments for direct intervention will increase to a constant roar, and the mainstream media will try to amplify the saber-rattling as much as possible. Ukraine will turn to more asymmetric strikes within Russia, meaning multiple guerrilla or terrorist actions, more so to elicit a wider response from Russia that might lure America and the EU into open engagement. Russia will simply bide their time. They're facing minimal economic pressure given they're enjoying an explosion in energy profits and their close trade ties with China and India. All Putin has to do is wait for the NATO weapons and money to run out, which they will sooner rather than later. From a strategic perspective, it makes sense for Russia to continue targeted strikes rather than trying to grab more territory. That said, a prolonged conflict also helps the establishment as a distraction from the economic crisis they've caused. Putin would never admit it, but the Russian presence in Ukraine serves many globalist interests. Now, the biggest question on everyone's mind, of course, is will this lead to a nuclear event? Now, if we're talking about a global nuclear war, he says, then I think not. If we're talking about a limited regional strike like one or two weapons, then yes, the chances are high. The automatic assumption that people will make is is that if one nuclear bomb goes off, then all the nuclear bombs will go off. That's not necessarily true. A regional strike, most likely by Russia, or at least blamed on Russia, would actually be beneficial to globalist interests who could use the image of a mushroom cloud over Ukraine as a tool of ultimate fear and panic. The public might be more malleable and controllable if they thought evil Russians with nukes are about to erase them. An actual nuke exchange, a global nuke exchange, wouldn't be so advantageous for the establishment as the outcome would be completely unpredictable and the vast infrastructure they have spent generations building would be eliminated in the blink of an eye. So he says, I think the globalists will do everything in their power to avoid a worldwide nuclear calamity, but they'll certainly try to use the threat to their advantage. So the bottom line is the time is coming for the ultimate gaslighting of the American citizenry. And he says, this is something you're going to see coming. And I think he's right. You're going to see if you if you doubt the draconian policies of the Biden administration or if you express doubt on the official narrative that's being pumped at you, you're going to be accused of being Russian agents. 
They will try to take away our freedoms and everything we have and accuse us of being villains and foreign agents. That's the end game of the East-West paradigm, at least for Americans. But if we can see it coming, he says, then at least we can prepare for it and warn as many people as possible before it happens. I know, we live in exciting times, right? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to HSL Ammo as well as LifesavingFood.com. I have links to both of these wonderful sponsors in my show notes at TheBrianHydeShow.com. If you would like to subscribe to my show notes, a couple things you can do. First of all, go to the show notes section of my website. Click on the subscribe button at the bottom of the page. As a subscriber, I will also send you my daily feature called Hide in Plain Sight. And it's just, I'm just going to send you a script. It's a 250-word script. But every day, I share a very non-political, but hopefully uplifting and empowering message of information or principles or just unique perspectives that may not be so obvious if you weren't actually looking for them. I encourage you to give it a try. Give me feedback if you'd like. I mean, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, tell me that too. Tell me how it could be better. But it starts by going to my website, thebrianhideshow.com. All right, three quick articles I want to touch on before we're done today here. Uh, First one is from Pastor Chuck Baldwin. And he asks the question, can we ever trust the medical establishment again? I'll let you dive in and discover this one for yourself. All I can say is, you know, trust takes a long time to build, but it only takes an instant to destroy it. And unfortunately, we have seen a uh, a lot of examples over the last two and a half years where people who are paying attention can rightly have some some mistrust of the medical establishment to the point where, you know, I I would only go as a result of an emergency just because I, I'm, I'm concerned there's way too much collaboration between government and the medical establishment. So, sorry, I know there's good people who work within it, but wow. You want to talk about an industry that's been co-opted and turned, you know, to the, to uh, control purposes? I think the case can be made, and Chuck Baldwin does a very good job of it. Next, Julie Kelly continues to be a terrific resource for anyone who is following the January 6th committee hearings. Now, I guess their grand finale is coming up this week. There's talk that they've subpoenaed Donald Trump himself to testify. This is made-for-TV melodrama. And the, the narrative has a lot of holes in it, which, of course, mainstream sources will not acknowledge. But now we start to find out, well, hey, what was Nancy Pelosi doing? We can tell you exactly what she was doing as uh, the events of January 6th unfolded. Why? Well, she had a documentary team with her. It's like this was planned out. Ray Epps, the guy who was urging people, we have to go not only to the Capitol, but into the Capitol. More and more. He even appears in, in Nancy's documentary. If you can't see that the events of January 6th were manipulated or otherwise co-opted in such a way as to be turned against anyone who either doubted the, uh, the integrity of the 2020 election or, for that matter, just simply was a Trump supporter or not a Biden supporter, yeah, it's been weaponized to where, you know, you have the president literally on television with a Nazi-like backdrop 
sitting there telling us how this is the greatest threat to our democracy, by which he means our rule. Oh, we live in some bizarre times. But if you want to make sense of it, Julie Kelly is one of the best resources that you can draw upon. She has been phenomenal. So I've got a link to her article about... uh, about what's going on and the lies, the promises that were made by the January 6th committee that they never delivered on. It's just a big show. It's all about manipulating people's emotions. She does a great job of exposing that for what it is. But I want to end on a more uplifting note. So for that, I'm turning to Annie Holmquist from intellectualtakeout.org. Annie is a gem. She is a remarkable writer great insights, and she has some very sound advice on climbing out of the grievance pit. See, that's part of becoming an adult, is learning how to handle grievances without becoming a source of endless drama yourself. Annie writes, sometimes one gets great insight from the oddest places. This happened to me the other day when a headline about Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex, caught my eye. Now, she says, as we all know, Meghan had a massive fallout with the British royal family, moving to the U.S. with her husband, Prince Harry, to allegedly live private lives. But such privacy has been difficult as the couple, particularly Meghan, have actively sought the camera to complain about the many injustices they endured during their life as royals. Now, such complaining must go, however, if Meghan wants to redeem her public image. That's according to former Vanity Vanity Fair editor Tina Brown. Tina Brown says, I think Megan really does need to find the things she cares about the most and develop her own sort of brand that isn't just a grievance brand. That's actually something we recognize as hers. Brown said it's hard to find that, and I don't think she's found it yet. But I think she could if she rose back from the focusing always on what didn't work. And in that little phrase, grievance band, Annie Holmquist says we get a clear view of what's wrong with society. Yes, Megan is a prime example of one who airs her grievances, but unfortunately, Megan isn't the only one guilty of this. We're all members of the grievance culture. She says, I know I am, all too eager to blame others for our mistakes and dwell on our problems rather than to learn from them and move on. Now, some of us have been abused in the past, sexually, physically, or emotionally, and thus we have a hard time building new relationships or mentally getting past our hurts. Some of us have been abandoned by spouses or parents or even close friends, resulting in a betrayal that causes us to distrust everyone. Others have been lied about or canceled or maligned or stolen from, creating an anger and shame that constantly eats at us. And because of these situations, what Brown said about Megan needing to get out of the grievance rut applies to all of us. The only way we get past our grievances is by looking forward and moving on to something more positive instead of fixating on what didn't work or what others did to us in our past. But she says that's hard to do because it requires us to change direction midstream and turn around to take a different path in life. Former spy Whitaker Chambers had to do this when he left the Communist Party. And as he writes in his autobiography, Witness, such a change is accompanied by fears, uncertainties, self-doubts, cowardices, flinchings of the will, These feelings are natural to any man who undertakes to reverse in mid-course the journey of his life, Chambers wrote. But while hard, they also bring a surging release and a sense of freedom, like a man who bursts at last gasp out of a drowning sea. So she asks, how do we get past all these fears? Or what can motivate us to change gears from grievance mode to freedom mode? And the answer is the pursuit of true wisdom. 
True wisdom, Chambers wrote, comes from the overcoming of suffering and sin. All true wisdom is therefore touched with sadness. Wow, that's, that's quite an insight right there. Thus, Annie Holmquist says, we are left with a choice. We can continue on as members of the grievance culture, holding on to our fears and hurts and blaming others for our problems. But those who do so remain fools, which is likely why so many in our culture seem to know and understand nothing. The other options to embrace the sadness and suffering that comes into our lives, using these to climb to new heights of understanding. In doing so, we will gain wisdom to use not only in our own lives, but to pass along to others as well, pulling them out of their own grievance pits. And she says, as more of us choose this response to the grievances that inevitably come into our lives, the more likely we are to see the grievance culture disappear entirely. I love this for so many reasons. And again, I'll have a link to this. Uh, Annie Holmquist, who is the editor of Intellectual Takeout, climbing out of the grievance pit. I don't know about you, but if I wanted to sit down and just start compiling a list of grievances, well, let's just say I can make a pretty good full-time job out of it. Yes, I'm waiting for whatever irony to to dissipate here. <laughs> Isn't that what you do? Um, I try not to, but but yes, there's a lot of things about which we can complain, but... To turn it to something productive, that does take effort. And, and it takes a willingness to, to look beyond, okay, so that's, that's bad, that's what happened, now what do I do? I was recounting this uh, the other day, I was talking with my mom, and uh, just recounting uh, being let go from a job a few years ago. And, you know, for years, well, for years I didn't have to deal with that. I mean, it was the, the first time I was, I was downsized, that was quite the shock. And, and it, was, it was a really uncomfortable feeling, like, wow, they're firing me. The second time it happened, though, I had some wisdom to draw from. Enough wisdom that I recognized that, you know what? This is not, you know, this, this terrible injustice. This is not this horrible grievance that I need to sit and stew over. I shouldn't be standing there screaming at the closed door, you know, and, and lamenting what's on the other side of it. Because somewhere along the way, I picked up the understanding that Yes, those changes happen. Yes, they're unpleasant. But every time one of those doors closes, it represents a liberation of sorts. Okay? You are now liberated from whatever responsibility was behind that door, meaning you're free to go find whatever the next adventure is going to be. And that's where I chose to put my focus. And, you know, I, don't, I hope this doesn't sound like a flex or like, bra- like bragging, but it made all the difference. So much opportunity was out there, and all I had to do was turn around and start walking towards it and looking for it. In fact, there were times where I had so much opportunity coming at me, it was almost overwhelming. Do you see the difference between sitting there screaming at a closed door and being sad over the fact that it was slammed shut? This is The Brian Hyde Show.